Locked On NBA. The biggest stories, the local experts. Every Monday, we dig into the biggest stories in the NBA with the Locked On Podcast Network hosts. Today, we will stop in Oklahoma City with Locked On Thunder host Eric G to discuss the up and down Oklahoma City Thunder. We'll go to Houston to chat with Ben DeBose of Locked On Rockets about the league leading Rockets who are flying high on a 15 game win streak. And then lastly, we go to Indiana to speak with Tony East of the Locked On Pacers podcast to discuss the surprising Indiana Pacers as they push to cement themselves a playoff spot and perhaps even more. It's all coming up. The biggest stories with the local experts on Locked On NBA. You are locked on the NBA. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Hi guys, it's Josh Lloyd back again, your host for Locked On NBA Mondays. If you don't know who I am, I am the lead analyst at BasketballMonster.com and the host of the Locked On Fantasy Basketball Podcast. Uh, really excited to get into today's show talking uh, about three big stories across the NBA with uh, all pretty big playoff implications. So let's get stuck straight into it right now. Let's go to Oklahoma City to cover the OKC Thunder. I'm joined by the host of the Locked On Thunder podcast, and that is Eric G. Eric, this uh, Thunder team, um, they're interesting, all right, aren't they? Yeah, they are. Um, Extremely inconsistent, consistently inconsistent, as we like to say here in Oklahoma. And unfortunately, I don't see anything changing for this team by the time the postseason turns around. Yeah, they're a team that look. You look at their you know, some of their numbers. They're the ninth best offense in the league, the tenth best defense in the league. But they still you know, they come out and they put up huge performances. We saw them a few weeks ago go out and, and really you know, beat the Warriors comfortably. And then they come out with just you know, poor performances against poor teams. They're currently sitting in the seventh seed in the Western Conference with a thirty-seven and twenty-eight record. Um, that Western Conference between three and ten, we know that's a it's a real fight for all these seeding positions. And you know, one or two losses can move you four or five spots in the standings. The first question I want to ask you, Eric, do you think that the Thunder, currently in the seventh seed, are a chance of missing the playoffs? Oh, absolutely, they are. And you just have to pull up the Western Conference standings to know that that is the case for the Oklahoma City Thunder. They're sitting there with they're basically only two games ahead. They're only two games ahead of the Clippers right yep. now. I say basically, but it's it really is only two games ahead of the Clippers and with as inconsistent as they play and it it's more than just inconsistent. They have this really bad tendency to play down Josh to their competition. And Night in, night out. If the Thunder are playing somebody like the Warriors or the Rockets, or we've even seen it with the Cavaliers, you can bet they're going to give it their all, and you'll probably get a good 48 minutes out of them. Play someone like the Dallas Mavericks, somebody like the Phoenix Suns, which they've done this week, and there's going to be a lull in the third quarter. I mean, you can you can just bank on it. They're the most predictable team in the association right now. What's what's the reason for that? Like, why why do you think? Because we know the intensity of Russell Westbrook. We know the defense that Paul George can bring. We know what Stephen Adams does as a player. But why is this team? You know, that's fueled by these energetic, high impact, aggressive players. Why are they taking it easy? How and and all I can give you is the is my best guess on this. But something when they go in at half, it is almost like they just forget that there is a game to be played 
And Billy Donovan says this in every single media scrum, every single opportunity that he gets with the the press, and that is that they're going to get their best, or the Thunder's going to get the opposing team's best night in, night out. Well, for whatever reason, they're not adapting to it. And and I think a lot of it just has to do with this is a veteran-laden basketball team. They're used to winning. I think they know ultimately the regular season doesn't mean that much, and it's all about what you do in the postseason. But I'm also a firm believer that good habits get built in the regular season, and the Thunder right now have way more bad habits than they do good habits. I guess one of the things we talk about them potentially missing the playoffs is that the fact that they've got 17 games left, which is on the lower end of, of games left for teams. Um, but out of those 17 games, they have 10 of those at home, seven of them on the road, obviously. But their record at home this year has been much superior to their road record. They're 21 and 10 at home, while only 16 and 18 on the road. So that, I guess, works in their favor. We know the raucous crowd uh, in Oklahoma City does you know, provide, I guess, a, um, a a level of a boost, and we're seeing that play out in terms of the in terms of the standings. And and the way that they've played this season. And we can talk about their struggles all we want. They're still 6-4 and four in their last 10 games, so it hasn't been a complete implosion, whereas teams like the Wolves and the Spurs, who are really on a downward swing, the Wolves are 4-6 and six over their last 10. The Spurs are uh, shocking, to be honest, 2-8 and eight over those last uh, 10 games. So they're not in that sort of a zone, but there is still plenty of question marks with this Oklahoma City Thunder team. One thing that's, I guess, been... Um, I don't know if it's been really underreported. It's something that's... You know, I've noticed quite a bit in my, in my role as uh, looking at fantasy basketball is Russell Westbrook's free throw percentage, which earlier in the season, it seems like that the problem has been fixed now, but is that, was that a concentration issue? We heard about him talking about the change in routine based on the new NBA rules, but is that sort of, I guess, lack of attention to, to detail? Um, it's something that's pervaded across this team you know, going through even those, those third quarter lulls. Yeah, it has. And it's not just Russell Westbrook. Um, everybody on this team has had a major issue with free throws. I mean, other than Russ, Paul George and Carmelo Anthony, those are the only three guys on this team you can count on at the line. Everybody else, it's an adventure. And you just when you're a Thunder fan or you watch this team, you constantly hold your breath when a guy like Jeremy Grant gets sent to the free throw line. Every time he goes up strong to the basket, I just keep thinking, dear Lord, please don't let him get fouled. And it's I tweeted this a, a few weeks ago, and I'm going to stand by it. I really think when the Thunder get into the playoffs, the least amount of games they're going to play in any series is going to be six will, will be six. And I think they're going to be two games in each series they play that that free throws ultimately costs them a chance to win and that is that's just concentration and not paying attention to detail and a lot of people want to chalk that up to the coaching staff i i've seen them i've seen them practice shooting free throws i see them practicing shooting threes to me that's on the player i mean when you're making millions and millions of dollars You've got to want to be good at every aspect of your game. And sometimes I just get the feeling that some of these guys just kind of shrug it off for one reason or another. Westbrook was you know, traveling at about 70%, which is well below what he's done over the course of his career. But over the last month, he's taken that up to 86%. So it looks like he's sort of got a handle on uh, on that the importance of that. Because you leave two or three points on the court at a time. Yeah, from missing those free throws, which is what he was doing because he goes to the line so often. If he's missing, yeah, three out of 10, that's, that's three points that's there. And three points is a huge amount in an NBA game, especially when battle for seedings and getting into the playoffs is as tight as it's been. Now, one thing I do want to talk to you about, Eric, is a story that surfaced late last week. 
Uh, Draft Express broke it about the Australian NBL League. Obviously, I'm based in Australia here, offering this new uh, program, this Next Star program, where they're going to be offering $100,000 to these draft eligible players to come here, play for a season. Now, the reason I want to talk to you about this is because you have someone uh, playing for the Oklahoma City Thunder who did that model before it was actually a a model set up by the the uh, National Basketball League here, and that's Terence Ferguson, who came down to Australia last season, played one season with the Adelaide 36ers. Didn't play all that much. Struggled. You know, didn't average in double-digit scoring. I don't think even think he averaged five points per game here. Struggled with his shot. But now he is there in OKC. He started some games. He's had some struggles, but he's provided some defensive flexibility. He can hit the three at times. But what I want to ask you is, have you noticed anything about Ferguson in his rookie season that would make him stand out from perhaps other rookies that have been around just because he's had a season of pro exposure, even though he didn't play as much down here, but that, I guess, extra seasoning, the extra professionalism, the change in mentality, has that been a positive thing for Terrence, do you think? Oh, it definitely has. And even if he didn't... Even if he didn't produce the way that, that you wanted him down to in Australia, the one thing he ultimately benefited from is is the physicality of the game. And that's the biggest thing that I see with guys from college to the NBA, the, the one-and-dones, is adjusting to the physicality and adjusting to the long season. And it doesn't look like Terrence Ferguson. And a lot of that is because his minutes well, – his, his minutes aren't – you know, extraordinary here, but he doesn't seem to hit that rookie wall like we see guys out of college do. And it's interesting you bring this up because we were talking to Carmelo Anthony about what would you advise your son to do? Would you advise him to go to college or would you advise him to go overseas and play? And Carmelo's a guy that played one year at Syracuse. He said he would want his kid to go to college, but he says he honestly believes more and more you're going to see kids take that route of not even finishing high school, but going overseas, they could play so they can get used to the physicality of the game. And I feel bad for all the college basketball fans here because I do ultimately see an end to that sport coming unless some drastic changes are made. But if I'm a father and my kid is good enough, I'm going to tell him to go to Australia or go to Europe and play for that year because you're still going to get drafted on potential. And if they feel your potential is good enough, I think the NBA likes guys that have played against adults and can, can handle what adults bring both mentally and physically to the game. Yeah, they, they should definitely come down here. I'd love to see them play uh, in person. Come down here. Our league plays through summer as well. You don't have to deal with uh, with cold weather. It's uh, it's nice. You can go to the beach. Perfect environment for them to come uh, come down here, earn some money, and uh, and get some exposure as well, playing in a, in a professional environment. Now, one last thing before I let you go, Eric, that I want to talk about. It's regarding Terrence Ferguson, and that's the, the recent signing of Corey Brewer. In that last game the Thunder played, Brewer replaced Ferguson's minutes. Not that Ferguson was playing a huge amount, but to my mind, yeah, Brewer struggled. And I think that he is well past any prime that, that he had. He, he obviously struggled shooting the ball. His defense isn't quite at that same level. And I feel that integrating him into the rotation, especially come playoff time, could be a real negative for this team. How did you view his yeah, debut. Obviously, he's got you know, rapport with with Billy Donovan, but is him coming in and taking minutes away from potentially, or taking Ferguson out, taking minutes away from Alex Abrines, is that going to be a potential issue? Oh, it, it could be. I think for for Corey Brewer, the Thunder won. They just needed to, I think, fill that fifteenth roster spot. I think they wanted to get that done. And two, I think all they're expecting from this guy is 
Can he play his average in minutes, which was 13 this year? Can he play some defense, which the Thunder have had problems with? And can he score? It's it's certainly not a a signing that excites me. But I think going into the playoffs, going into the playoffs where I think Corey Brewer could be a help is that he's he's veteran, he's tested, so he's been there. And for as great as Terrence Ferguson may have handled the regular season, the playoffs become a different monster. And with Alex Abrinas, as much as I love that guy, he falls into the to the Thunder pattern this year of not being as good as he was last year. And some of that had to do with injury, and he's starting to kind of come around. And we've seen we've seen flashes from Alex Abrinas, but we're not getting it night in, night out. I feel actually more comfortable, even if it's not good, I at least know what I get from Corey Brewer night in, night out, where Alex Sabrinas, I throw him out there on the court. He might be good and he might be terrible. And defensively, I've seen him get lost enough times this year where that, that does make me nervous. Yeah, his defense is not not a strength. Obviously, he did have a nice block a couple of uh, days ago. And to me, and Alex Sabrina's block is uh, one, of the, one of the rare sights in the NBA. Eric, it's going to be really interesting. Uh, the entire Western Conference playoff race, the 3 through 10, the Clippers and the Jazz outside, can they come in? What happens with the falling Spurs and the Wolves and the Thunder? Right in that mix as well. We're going to be tuned into Locked on Thunder to see how that all progresses over the course of the remainder of this season. And for your sake, hopefully the playoffs. Eric, thank you for coming on. And uh, where can everyone find you on Twitter as well? Uh, they can find me at G. That's at G-E-E-H-S-O. And I'd love the follows. And I'm a guy that tends to follow back. But also there's Locked On, the Locked On Thunder podcast and Locked On uh, Thunder.com. They can always find me there and follow me on Twitter. It's a lot of fun. I, I tweet during the Thunder games. And as much as I cover them, I'm a fan too. So you can watch me lose my mind with this team. And that's always makes for some really fun conversation. Go and uh, go follow Eric over there and listen to Locked on Thunder. Thanks once again, Eric. Thank you very much. I appreciate it. Ben DeBose of Locked on Rockets. Let's talk about the Houston Rockets, who are the uh, number one seed in the Western Conference, the best overall record in the NBA. They're coming off the back of a uh, of a huge win against the Boston Celtics to extend their winning streak to 15 games. This team is flying, Ben. Um, how is, is how real is this? We have to feel like it's really it's, it's real at the moment, isn't it? Yeah, it feels that way. You had a 14-game winning streak in December, uh, late November to early December with this squad, but it's so early in the season. To see them do it again and to see them do it on so many big stages, you know, if there was one thing that you might could nitpick about them before Saturday, it's that, you know, some of the wins did come at a lighter point in the schedule, so you want to see how are they going to execute late in close games against teams like the Warriors, like the Celtics. But over the past month or so, it's, you know, it's not just the schedule. You're seeing them execute late in close games. And even when they're ch- challenged, they're finding ways late in games to still get those types of wins that a year ago, I don't think they would have. Well, that's exactly what we saw against Boston. Yeah, Boston had the lead for big chunks of that game, but they, they pulled it out again. And you know, teams who are in the midst of long wing streaks, occasionally where that happens, they're like, oh, you know what? We just don't have the energy. We've been pushing so hard. But they, they fought back and they did it. And that's something that has been a criticism of Rockets teams over the past. And, and to be honest, you have Chris Paul teams in the past is that they, they don't necessarily you know, push through that pressure and get that extra win. But that's exactly what's happened with this team. Now, one thing I do want to touch on with this team is we hear this stat bandied about how they've only lost one game with their preferred starting five all season. But Ben, I'm going to posit you this question. Is that preferred starting five? That's no longer the preferred starting five, is it? No, the accurate stat, I think, is that they've only lost one game with James Harden, Chris Paul, and Clint Capella. Okay. Because they have been 
they've tweaked it to where it, it feels pretty permanent now that P.J. Tucker is starting at the four, and Ryan Anderson would be coming off the bench. Now, Ryan Anderson, for the moment, is out with a hip flexor, but Mike D'Antoni has said that he wants more defense at that power forward spot. I think with Ryan Anderson, there's a reason you think a couple of years ago that he was coming off the bench for a Pelicans team, including when the Pelicans went in the playoffs against the Warriors. And it's because with his defensive limitations, it's a problem if you're starting him and asking him to go 30 plus minutes against some of the elite fours that are in the Western Conference. It's just when the Rockets signed him a year ago, they didn't really have any other options up front, and especially on a team with limited options and with that salary, he's going to start. But optimally, Ryan Anderson is a classic guy, you, you know, your bench guy who he has his defensive limitations, but is kind of a microwave offensively. And he just feels like a natural bench fit in which the Rockets would always like to have him there. They just didn't have much of a choice in terms of the lack of depth a year ago. And P.J. Tucker, the stats aren't anything to write home about. But he just gives you a lot of intangibles. And so when you slide him in with a starting lineup that already has Chris Paul, James Harden, Clint Capella, then Tucker's offensive limitations, you can live with those because he gives you so much on the defensive end of the floor, so many of the effort plays. So it's just a lot more of a better fit for both of those guys. PJ offsets some of the, I don't want to say defensive limitations, but he gives you some energy and you can offset his limitations on offense, whereas Ryan Anderson can come in and be a bit more of a focal point on that second unit. There were some folks that said maybe you could have started Luke Bamute instead of P.J. Tucker, but I think you want some sort of physical presence at the four spot. So I think that's why P.J. Tucker is kind of the blend, and that's the starting lineup they've gone with for the time being. We know that they're the best offense in the NBA. They're not only the best offense in the NBA, they're the best offense, I believe, in NBA history, but they are top 10 in defense. They are the eighth at the moment in defensive rating, and that's something that you know, Mike D'Antoni teams have been criticized for, and I believe unfairly criticized for, because a lot of people would go by the points per game allowed metric, which yep. doesn't take into consideration pace. He's had, I think, one or two seasons outside the top 25 defensively but otherwise he's had his phoenix teams like 15th and 18th and 12th and he gets unfairly maligned but he's taken it up an extra level with great signings at daryl Morey, signing guys like pj tucker luke marmute the elevation in clint capella's play the, the optimal use of lineups and that's a real you know strength we can talk about you know defense wins championships and people will just overlook that with the rockets because of how electric and explosive their offense is but their defense has won them plenty of games we saw that you know, a week ago when and they're on that back-to-back in Utah when they held that Jazz team to like 84 points and, and didn't even crack 100 themselves and got the victory on a really tough back-to-back. Yeah, and one of the little under-the-radar things that I think not everyone has noticed nationally in terms of their defense, Trevor Ariza, since he came back from the All-Star break, he missed a couple of weeks before with a hamstring injury. And so since then, since the Rockets have finally had their full cast of players, well, almost, Ryan Anderson being the one that's still out. But in terms of your wings, they're all there. And so getting Luke Bamute and P.J. Tucker, yes, individually, those are quality defensive players, especially Luke, who's one of the best in the NBA. So that's helped them. But the other thing, Josh, that's really helped the Rockets overall, now no one is being overextended. The thing about Trevor Ariza in the past, in games like last night against the Celtics, you would have seen the Rockets in prior years playing him 40 to 45 minutes. Because in terms of what he brings you, his length, his grit, just that overall tenacity. The Rockets did not have too many players like him. So when it came to a tough matchup like the Celtics, like the Warriors, if it was a game that you really wanted, you would have extended Ariza to 40, 45 minutes, and that would have taken a toll 
if not on his defensive effort and ability, certainly on his shooting. And you would see from time to time that Ariza would start off seasons shooting very well and then ultimately dip because of usage considerations. Well, since Ariza's come back, he's actually shooting almost 45% from the field, over 42% from three, and those numbers would be even higher, close to 50% overall if you take out the game in Utah on the back-to-back when I believe he shot like 3 of 13, and that was because the entire team was just dead tired, back-to-back in elevation. The main point that I'm trying to get at, a fresh Trevor Ariza is significantly better and more efficient, and of course the same goes for Luke Bamute and P.J. Tucker. And since everyone has come back, since they've added Joe Johnson, they've got this really deep roster, no one outside of James Harden is playing more than 35 minutes per night. And so because of that, in addition to just the pieces they have, everyone, it feels like, is at peak efficiency because your role players, your guys like Ariza, like Luke Bamute, like P.J. Tucker that you might lean on for defense, you're no longer having to overextend those guys the way a year ago. I think they definitely overextended Ariza for long stretches of the year, and it probably had a correlation with his reduced efficiency come playoff time. Yeah, I think that's definitely a case. And we've seen that across many teams, yeah, the Raptors yep. and overextending Kyle Lowry and DeMar DeRozan and their struggles in the playoffs and, and breaking down at inopportune times of the season. Now, the, the the question that people always want to know is, okay, it's the Warriors. The Warriors are the defending champion. The Rockets, how are they going to match up against them? Well, they've played them three times this season. They don't play them again for the rest of the year. They're 2-1 in the season record, and that one game they lost was with Harden injured. So you could say that they've got not a blueprint necessarily to beat them, but I would say that uh, you, the fans, and the Rockets organization themselves would have a decent level of confidence if they can get themselves that home court advantage, clinch the one seed as they've already got that tiebreaker, um, that they would have a level of confidence that they can go toe-to-toe with the Warriors. Yeah, and I think you hit the nail on the head by saying get that home court. The home court advantage is much more important for the Rockets than the Warriors because so much of beating the Warriors four times out of seven, it's the mental aspect of it and how daunting it is to beat maybe the most, or I shouldn't say maybe, what I think is the most talented team in NBA history. So if you can get off on the right foot, take at least one of those two initial games, and being if those are in Houston, I think you'd feel like you have a pretty good shot to do that And then, of course, the all-important Game 5, if it's 2-2, and certainly a Game 7, to have those in Toyota Center instead of at Oracle Arena, it's a big deal for the Rockets. I think they're a confident bunch, but I think that having those games in Houston rather than in Oakland would go a long way. So that's why every game feels so important to the Rockets. They do have a one-game lead now in the loss column with the tiebreakers. They do have a bit of a buffer that's big for them because this coming week is not going to be easy they're in oklahoma city tuesday night then at milwaukee second night of a back-to-back on wednesday then at toronto on friday so it's going to be a very challenging week they do have a little bit of buffer but yeah you're exactly right you need that home court advantage and that's to me the ticket to at least getting the rockets a 40 50 percent shot i don't know exactly where i'm at but i would say they at least have a reasonable shot The real perk to me, Josh, that I'll say after last night's Celtics game, it's been so great to see Eric Gordon these past two games really step up. He had 22 points in 28 minutes against the Clippers on Wednesday. That was his first game after the All-Star break. He had a week off, then actually missed the first three games out of the break with uh, food poisoning. Came back, he's looked revitalized, a bit rejuvenated, had some nagging injuries going into the break involving his back, his knees, that kind of stuff. He looks a lot healthier now. And then last night, he actually led the way, actually had 29 points, made seven of his 11 threes. And 
Eric Gordon and Clint Capella, those are your variables because obviously James Harden, Chris Paul, there's a standard there. Those are two of the top 10 players in the league. In terms of a Rockets-Warriors matchup, you feel good that they're going to give you what you expect. The variables for the Rockets are Eric Gordon, Clint Capella. Those are the two guys that you need to step up to the level of guys like Clay Thompson and Draymond Green in Golden State. Those guys, of course, have proven it in the playoffs before Eric Gordon and Clint Capella, nowhere near the lengthy track record. Clint's still just 23 years old in his fourth year. But if you're the Rockets, those are your two guys that you need to have a leap forward to a quasi, if not all-star, at least in the all-star vicinity discussion level in terms of their efficiency level of play. There had been some decline in Gordon's efficiency the past month or two. He has been dealing with some injuries. The last two games, it's a small sample. But to see him do it on the biggest stage against Boston, against the league's best defense, it's a pretty encouraging sign because, to me, when I think of can the Rockets compete with the Warriors, it's less about James Harden and Chris Paul, and it's more about Eric Gordon and Clint Capella. Are those variables going to step up? Still a long way to go. Small sample, but again, seeing Gordon do what he did, 29.73s, Clint Capella 17 boards in 34 minutes, plus 19 in the plus minus. Those are little things, but those are little things that I'm looking for when it comes to competing with the Warriors. One thing I like about Clint Capella against the Warriors is many centers become unplayable, but he is a guy who has quick feet, who can switch and can do a reasonable job out on the perimeter, which is key to being able to guard those guys like Curry, Durant, and Thompson. He's not going to get lost out there as much as some other uh, centers will in that sort of a scenario. We're all excited, Ben, to see how this all plays out with the Rockets. You know, someone challenging the Warriors, coming in with that one seed and a chance to really shake things up. I'm sure you're excited. We know the Astros you know, won the World Series. Things are happening in Houston. Could be a really big 12 months there. So if you want to hear more about what's happening with the NBA's best team at the moment, the Houston Rockets, make sure you are checking out Locked on Rockets. Ben, thanks for coming on and talking about uh, this Houston team. Sure thing. Glad to be on. And now I'm joined by the host of the Locked On, or one of the hosts of the Locked On Pacers podcast. Tony East is here to discuss the surprising Indiana Pacers. Tony, welcome to the show. Thanks, Josh. It's glad to be on, glad to be talking about the Pacers. Now, they are a team that um, I think has surprised almost everybody across the general NBA landscape this season. Has their success this season surprised you? Absolutely. Uh, when I did my own schedule analysis before the season, I, I put them between uh, 28 and 32 wins, which shows how much I know because they got more than that by the All-Star break. So uh, it really has surprised me. But who could have seen this coming from basically everybody punching above their weight, Sands, Miles, Turner? Yeah, well, that's that's the thing. Like last season, they finished with a 42 and 40 record. They were the seventh seed in the Eastern Conference with Paul George, a guy that no matter how you, you view him, I'd say he's a consensus, at least top 20 player. Some would say higher, some would say top 15, but one of the you know, top defenders in the league, an, an excellent offensive player. And they finished seventh seed. Now, I think most people would agree that the Eastern Conference is a little bit stronger this season, even with George and Jimmy Butler migrating across to the Western Conference. We're seeing Philadelphia rise, Milwaukee getting better. The, the conference just seems to be a little bit stronger stronger in general but the Pacers they're they're well on track to to be ahead of that um to be ahead of that record this season they're on 35 and 27 already they'd have to have a, a dramatic or dramatic uh, implosion I guess to uh to finish with a worse record than that um for this coming season so you know we're, they're currently sitting we're recording this before Sunday's game against the Wizards they're the fifth seed in the uh in the Eastern Conference do you think that they have any chance of pushing for home court advantage and getting to that fourth seed? Because they're not far up. They're only half a game behind the, the Wizards, and they're only a game behind the Cavs who currently sit in the third seed. So you're looking at the upcoming schedule is pretty tough. They've got some tough games coming up. 
is is the chance of home court advantage in the first round of the playoffs a possibility for this Pacers squad? You know, you stole a lot of my bullet points. Uh, their <laughs> schedule coming, their schedule coming up is pretty challenging, and that's why I think it'll be hard for them to do so. But I think they would absolutely like to, and that's why this game against the Wizards that you listeners have already seen the final result of is so crucial because they can leapfrog into the four spot with a win and uh, be tied in the tiebreaker with the Wizards, a team without John Wall that I know Sadoransky's been keeping them afloat, but. You know, who knows how long he can sustain his incredible three-point shooting uh, with Wall out. So, you know, the Wizards have a pretty volatile um, kind of end range of where they end up. And the Cavs have been, you know, who knows what they're going to do the rest of any time. that You know, they, they seem like they're all over the place. And they have the tiebreaker clinched over the Cavs, too. So there's a lot of options for them to push for and get up there. And, you know, they just clinched the Bucks tiebreaker. They still have a chance with the Sixers. So, you know, they, they just have to finish with as good of records as these teams. But the challenge, like you said, is they're scheduled the rest of the way. So challenging, you know, they play every other day uh, for the rest of till March ends. And, you know, after this back to back coming up and they play a lot of playoff teams in that stretch, they, they don't have a, an easy one. Then they have their West Road trip coming up still with the L.A. teams, too. So, you know, maybe if some teams settle into, you know, they know what their season's going to become and, and either tank or you know, the Pacers just get a free win, then maybe they could push, but it's going to be challenging given their schedule to get up there. Their, their next eight games contain a lot of um, games against these teams that they're battling for, for that three through six or seven seed. They've got two games against the Wizards in that time. Well, their back-to-back Sunday, Monday is Washington and Milwaukee. They take on the Celtics, they take on the Sixers, they've got the Raptors, and they've got the Wizards in these next eight games. Throw in the Jazz from the West there. There's only one game that's a real, I say, gimme, and that's against the Hawks. So this is a really, really tough stretch for them. And then later on in April, as you mentioned, they got to, they have to head across to the West Coast where they have a, a run against the Warriors, the Kings, the Clippers, and the Nuggets there. So that's, that's a, a tough sort of situation for them as well. But we've seen this team defy expectations all season. And I think a lot of that has been on the back of the play of Victor Oladipo. First time All-Star this season, I think almost going to be a unanimous choice for most improved player for this year. I think the most impressive thing with Oladipo, and when I talk about things from a fantasy point of view, I look for stuff that's unsustainable. And he started off the season shooting the ball fantastically, like really great three-point shooting. But over the past two months, January and February, I'm talking about here, his three-point shooting has fallen off, but his play really hasn't. He's a, He was a 23% shooting from three in February, 30% shooting from three in January, but he's still been able to score you know, over 20 points per game, still been able to influence the game, put up stellar defensive numbers all season. So to me, that's a, a great sign that even when the shooting waxes and wanes, he's able to provide value for teams or for the team in other areas. And that's a great sign of a team that can sustain the success that they've had so far this season. Yeah, we've talked about Oladipo's shooting struggles quite a bit on uh, Locked on Pacers recently. Uh, with with Darren Collison's surgery since then, it's been even worse. I think it's like 21% before that Bucks game. I haven't run the numbers since. And the team, you know, that's for everyone with Collison on and off. They shoot substantially better. But with Oladipo, it's been crazy recently. Um, but you're absolutely right. We've talked about that too, you know. We keep saying he's not struggling. It's just his three-point shooting that's struggling. He's still getting to the rim just fine. He's still dictating the offense and making defenders move just by cutting and having his impact. And now he's up to, I think he leads the league in steals per game now. He does. Uh, that might that might have gone away after Friday. Yeah, he uh, he's up near the top in steals per game. So he's doing uh, the impact stuff on defense. He's, he's still just like pretty good as an on-ball defender just because he's 6'4". But, you know, because the star is so consistent at leading the team, like you said, you know, they don't have a ton of volatility in, in in floundering. The only challenge, like I said already, is the schedule because you know what you're going to get from Vic and all the other guys. 
you mentioned Darren Colson and the team shooting worse when he's been out, and there's a significant reason for that. It's because he is one of the best three-point shooters in the NBA, and nobody knows about it. Nobody knows how good of a shooter Darren Collison is. For the last three seasons, he's been at over 40% from three. In uh, 15-16, he shot 40% as a member of the Sacramento Kings. Last season, as a member of the Kings, he shot 42%. This season, he's gotten even better, shooting 43% so far, and he's been injured. The paces have treaded water in that time. Again, the shooting has dropped off, but they're 5-3 and three in those eight games that Collison's missed. Corey Joseph is nowhere near the three-point shooter that Darren is, but he, again, we've got this tough stretch coming up. He's likely to return at some point in the next couple of games. What's the latest on Collison's knee injury? And do you think it's a big a big deal to have him back for this team? Absolutely. Uh, you know, they run a lot of offensive sets where they like to shoot on the first pass or their, you know, their their set their setup for the shot does come from their first action. And Collison's really good at getting the timing of that first pass and then cutting into the space where he uses his gravity as a three point shooter to make whatever they're running successful. And you can really tell that their offense is better with him out there than Joseph. Not to say Joseph's been bad. He just is a completely different player, like you already said. Um, so I think he is really going to help. And they already said that he's going to be out for the whole road trip. So you saw him not play against the Wizards last night. Uh, and I'd imagine because the Bucks game on Monday is a back-to-back, he won't play in that one either. But I imagine his return is pretty imminent. You know, before the Dallas game uh, last Wednesday, he was shooting around before the game. He looked very mobile, and he had all the rise on his jump shot that he had. Pre-injury, so I'd imagine his return uh, will come this week. I my guess would be Wednesday. Yeah, so that Wednesday, that's a home game against the Jazz, and uh, you know, yes. getting and, and a lot of the time with these injuries, Tony, it, it's not about necessarily who the replacement is because Corey Joseph's fine. Like we know what he can do defensively, he can do a little bit offensively. He's not a high usage guy. He's not a great shooter, but he can he can hold his own. It's what happens with the backup. So. Corey Joseph comes in as the backup normally when Collison's starting, but now you're replacing Joseph with uh, with Joe Young. And Young's been okay at times. You've had Lance Stevenson running things at times as well, um, and that, that's going to be the challenge. But Collison coming back is going to help uh, solidify this team. One last thing on this Pacers team, Tony, is that they recently signed uh, Trevor Booker, who has yet to make his debut for this team. Yeah, he was uh, obviously started with the, the Nets, traded to the Sixers. They, the Sixers waived him in order to sign Ersan Ilyasova. Where does Trevor Booker fit into this team? Whose minutes are he taking? Because TJ Leaf was getting some playing time, but he'd seen himself phase out of the rotation. Where does he fit into this rotation now? Yeah, um, the original thought, well, first of all, he's a player type that the Pacers don't really have and that bruising kind of big man, you know, Sabonis for all the interior presence he's offered is not as bruising as Booker can be. So I think he'll play a lot in two big lineups when other teams have two bigs out there too. But I'd imagine his role is no more than 10 to 12 minutes a game. Uh, I think... All of Leafs' minutes that were formerly available will now go to him, although those are now mostly evaporated. Uh, but I think what will really change is any time Bojan Bogdanovic plays the four, I think will now be a little more swallowed up by Booker minutes just because, um, you know, they love the floor spacing. The Bojan's been running rampant with his minutes all season long uh, thanks to Glenn Robinson's injury. So I think they would like to get him uh, some rest before the, the playoffs really start. And also, uh, Thaddeus Young's minutes might take a little bit of a hit just because now they actually have a serviceable backup at the power forward, which they haven't had all season. Um, and the last thing that, you know, Nate McMillan hasn't, has been hesitant to place a bonus and Turner together. I think he'll be even more so now that he has Booker, but it'll be interesting to see how he uses Booker just because I think the whole point is that he adds versatility. So it might be kind of matchup dependent. 
yeah, look, he just gives them that extra big body. It's also going to uh, prevent them from having to use Al Jefferson, who occasionally can provide an offensive burst and probably gives up just as many. The other way, Booker can come in. He can play small ball center as well, even though they've already got two uh, two centers on that team. So it does give them that extra flexibility for this really important time of the season. Pacers fans have to be elated with what's happened so far. You know, you're looking at a, a gloomy offseason. Paul George has gone. Oh, who knows what we're getting back in Sabonis and Oladipo. It's exceeded everyone's expectations. I'm so, sure it's been a really fun season for you, Tony hosting the Locked On Pacers podcast with this uh, fun and infectious group of players led by Victor Oladipo, the Pacers All-Star. Tony, thank you for coming on. Everyone can, now, can go and find you on Locked On Pacers. Where can they find you on Twitter as well? Yeah, I'm at T East NBA. I tweet about all the teams, but mostly the Pacers coverage. So if you want to re- learn more about the team, uh, come follow me on Twitter. Go follow Tony there and go and check out the Locked On Pacers podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Tony, thanks for coming on. Thanks for having me, Josh. That does it for another episode of the Locked On NBA podcast. You can follow the entire Locked On NBA podcast network on Twitter and on Facebook at Locked On NBA Net. And you can find me on Twitter at RedRock underscore Beeble. We are done here, guys. Thank you so much for listening, everyone. See ya.